Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We bring you free-flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello, and welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. This is episode 33, and it was recorded on Thursday, November 21st, 2019. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and a partner with Vitreo Group. We are a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. This is our 12th and last episode of 2019. In fact, this is the last episode of this decade. We were joined by Mike Geiger, President and CEO of the Association of Fundraising Professionals, Paula Atfield, President of Stephen Thomas Limited, Roger Ali, President and CEO of the Niagara Health Foundation, and Scott Dexheimer, President and CEO of Vitreo Group. It was a wide-ranging discussion, and lots of what we talked about will surprise you. It's time for the Brain Trust Philanthropy Podcast. Welcome to Episode 33 of Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. This is our 12th and last episode of 2019. Our topic, Global Disruption in Philanthropy what to expect in 2020. This is our third annual podcast on disruption and emergent trends. Our listeners want to hear about what will be the most important trends in the nonprofit and fundraising sectors in the upcoming year. We have four amazing fundraising leaders with us today, three of which were with us last year for this very same topic. I'm excited to be here. They're excited to be here. Let's get started. First, joining us from Washington, D.C., we have Mike Geiger. Mike is President and Chief Executive Officer of the Association of Fundraising Professionals, AFP. And while Mike is no stranger to being on a podcast, this is his first visit to Brain Trust Philanthropy. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you, Vincent. Mike, if my memory is not failing me, you are coming up on or have just passed the two-year mark as AFP's CEO. Congrats and thank you. Mike, we met very early in your tenure at AFP. I feel like it might have been Congress, one of those... One of the things I find most inspiring about you, and I'm not sure if I've shared this with you, is that you have a rare gift. You're probably wondering what that is. When someone's speaking to you, they really feel like they're the, only, they're the only person in the room. I've experienced this firsthand on a number of occasions, and it's been really special. I just wanted to say thank you for that, and thanks for being a great CEO. Now, are you, were you aware that you have this leadership superpower? I hope you know it. We see it. I hope you see it. Related to that, and before we start picking your brain on trends and ideas for 2020, I'm curious, what are your most important qualities in a leader? Well, thank you, Vincent, and it's a pleasure to be on the podcast for the first time. Hopefully, I get a chance to come back and be part of it again in, in the future. Um, and I also appreciate your kind words. I, I was not aware of that, but I think that to answer your question on, on what are the key characteristics of a good leader, I think there's a couple. Um, empathy is one of them. I think it's really important to be able to understand the people you are with, whether they are colleagues, whether they are members of an association, whether they are donors. Uh, I think having that ability to, to understand where they're coming from, sort of walking a mile in their shoes as best you can, I think is a really critical piece. The other characteristic that I think is really important, and I'm really putting it under two, is, is transparency and honesty. So being very clear about what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve and being very honest about it. And 
this is not the same thing as as worrying about people's feelings in terms of if you're taking the right decision, are you going to hurt their feelings or are they going to walk away and, and not be in a good place? You want to always make sure that, that, that you are looking out for people, but you have to be willing to be honest about things, whether they're going well or whether they're not going well, and be transparent about what you're trying to achieve. And then I think the, the third one uh, that I always focus on is really around authenticity, being who you are. We are, we are all different individuals, and I'm a different type of leader than you are, Vincent, and a different leader than Scott or Paula or Roger that we'll be talking to shortly. It's about understanding who you are as an individual and leveraging the skills that you have into being the leader that is truly your, your true self. So I think those are the three really big, I guess four if you, if you take transparency and honesty. I think those are four really big um, criteria or characteristics of, of good leaders. Well, we've seen you display all of those, and thank you for that, and uh, thanks for sharing them with us. So empathy, transparency, honesty, and be authentic. So thank you, Mike. Next, joining us from a Toronto, from Toronto, we have Paula Atfield. Paula is president of Stephen Thomas Limited and is also chair of AFP Canada. And in the pre-show, I was reminded that that is actually for another year as well. Um, who is, and so we're very glad of that. Now, who is Stephen Thomas Limited, you might ask? Well, quite simply, they have been helping charities raise money for nearly 40 years. But I'll let Paula tell you more about that later in the show. Paula, last year I pinched myself when you joined us. This year, I'm over the moon. Thanks for taking the time to be with us and welcome back. Thank you. Over the moon. Wow, that's uh, that's that's pretty special. Yeah. Paula, last time you and Scott were on the podcast, Scott was just about to leave the role of chair of AP Canada, and you were just about to take up that mantle. And so I'm curious, you've gone through the first year as chair of AP Canada, you've got another year in front of you. Uh, what were your high points from 2019? Oh, thanks, Vincent. So I have about 1,431 high points. So Great, so I'm just going to sit back. Yeah, just say, no. It's been actually it's been a really great year. Um, four that came to mind really, uh, and some of these I, I'm sure we'll touch a, touch on uh, throughout this podcast. But one number one I think for me is the narrative that we created with with Scott's help and Scott's leadership, the narrative for fundraising, and that is giving fundraisers a, a very practical tool to speak about the work that we do in a way that's not apologetic, in a way that's not not defensive as well. And so that's been really exciting. You'll hear more about that for sure. Our work on government relations has been incredibly important. And so we've had the opportunity to speak to some 164 members of parliament. We were involved in the pre-election work. And this is all about making sure that our sector and fundraisers in particular are known to government and the importance of our work is known to government. And of course, our, our Scots spoke to the uh, Senate Committee on the Charitable Sector, which was which was really great because that was one way we could get our voice heard. And subsequent to Scott, we had a, a number of opportunities to speak to the Senate Committee hearings on the charitable sector. So those were just some of the high points for me. And um, lastly, I think it was participating in Ethics Month, which um, I, I know that Mike will probably speak to a little bit later. So it's it's been a good year. Thanks, Vincent. It, it has been a great year, and thanks for being uh, such a strong leader for us. Also joining us from the Greater Toronto Area, actually St. Catharines, we have Roger Ali. 
Roger is the president and CEO of the Niagara Health Foundation and past chair at the AFP Foundation for Philanthropy Canada. Roger, like Paula, you're now a seasoned visitor on our podcast, so welcome back. Thank you, Vincent. Roger, last year I asked you about your volunteer motivations. This year, I'm curious, you've been a Health Foundation CEO for just over two years now, and you have had a fundraising background in health since, I think, 2008. We have lots of listeners who work in healthcare philanthropy. What are you seeing as the largest opportunities and challenges related to raising money for healthcare in Canada and beyond? That's a great question, Vincent. So I think the the greatest opportunity for healthcare philanthropy uh, in Canada and beyond is around patient-centered care and the digital aspects of hospitals. You know, I've seen our hospital, Niagara Health, and many hospitals uh, in Canada incorporate technology in a way that brings the patient care experience to the center. And a great example of that is something we're doing here at Niagara Health with a patient navigator that you can have an app on your phone and be able to access your healthcare in a way in which will give you real-time results. So I think that's something for foundations, my foundation and, and others, to think about how might their fundraising strategy incorporate uh, a lean, green, and digital hospital, which is the wave of the future. Now, I think this also brings some challenges because we've traditionally fundraised for things like top priority pieces of equipment, whether it's an MRI or a bed or a new hospital. And I think this forces us to think about how might donors get excited about the future of having healthcare in their own hands and to be able to make those decisions with their healthcare team. So I think that's something that we should look at and think about as we build our fundraising strategies for next year and beyond. Thanks, Roger. Did I hear lean, green, and digital? That's right. Do you like that? <laughs> I do. It doesn't exactly <laughs> flow off the lips, but I do like it. I coined that, so you know it's like our 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 hospital is. Um, it, we have five sites, and we're growing um, to build a second new hospital. And everything I read about it, you know, speaks to technology and environmental leadership. And I thought lean, green, and digital. You know, it sounds right. like a superhero. It does. It does. It does. I, can, I, can, I can see the outfit right now, and I see Roger in it. <laughs> That's I'm right. working on this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's not get too excited. <laughs> Maybe some listeners can send in some fan art. Um, but we'll thanks, Roger. Finally, joining us from right here in Calgary, we have my business partner, Scott Dexheimer. Scott, this is your fifth visit to the podcast. Now, listeners, you might think he has some special pass as he is the president and CEO of the Trail, and well, you'd be right. Scott, can you believe this is your fifth visit? Scott is always it's always great to have you with us. So welcome back. Thanks. I can't believe it's been five years. I feel like an SNL host, one of the, like Tom Hanks or somebody like that. It's great. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, I have to admit, I struggled a bit in trying to find the right intro question for you. I, uh, I'll start by sharing with our listeners how lucky we are at Betrayo to have you as our CEO. Honestly, it is the best move we have made as a company. So thank you. Uh, so in the spirit of putting you on the spot, 
and somewhat loosely related to our topic. Uh, if you had to pick one thing to give up in 2020 and one thing to pick up in 2020, what would what would those be? You know, I think it's always uh, uh, people that know me, I think, know that I often pick themes for years. And and so, you know, I start reflecting and you pushed me a little bit ahead of schedule here to start thinking about 2020. Mm. I think if I was if I were to give up something, if I was to give up something, I'd probably now think about giving up long form narrative. And and what I mean by that is that, you know, I think I think in, in the work that we do or the work that a lot of us do, um, we spend a lot of time writing very long, detailed reports, and and I think we're seeing a different level of donor responsiveness. And there are some donors and others that that need long form. I don't dispute that, but but I think now looking at how we can put more information into into smaller bits is is going to be really important. So I think that's something I need to look at how we how I start giving up some of my need for lots of information. Um, I, I think something to pick up is something I'm always working on. And some of you may not know this about me, but always trying to, I'm trying to pick up more boldness and courage for decisions. And, and I think often as we, as we're getting into a world that's getting more complex, I think it, it's going to require some very bold moves from organizations that, that I, I'm on boards of or volunteer with or, or that I work with as a consultant. And, and I, I think I need to be more bold and courageous when I'm making recommendations because the world is changing. And, and it's all of our jobs to get ready for that. And I think that's where as fundraisers, when we're building the business and, and building the backbone for an organization to succeed, we need to really look at these moves that are going to look to the future. Well, I, you never let me down. I wasn't sure where we were going to go with this, but I, uh, it sounds like your first one, though, is close to Rogers, uh, lean, green, and digital, less long-form <laughs> narrative. Um, and uh, and I one of the, the leadership things I love about you, Scott, is that um, you are not afraid to be vulnerable, and you're just doing that with our listening audience. And uh, people have these perceptions of what our leaders look like. And you talked about that you want to be more bold and more courageous. And folks are probably be thinking, well, isn't he do that all the time? And and the fact that you're vulnerable to share that with us is great. So thank you for that. Okay, let's get started. Thank you all for joining us on this our 33rd podcast. Today's topic: global disruption in philanthropy what to expect in 2020. So first, a little comment on disruption, the word. It's starting to become uh, a little bit tired. As a concept, it still works, but as the title of our conference sessions uh, show us, uh, not so much. We might need to rework the title of today's podcast, but we are talking about things that disrupt and we are talking about trends. Before I turn the podcast over to our guests, I wanna take a quick look back at what others were saying at the end of 2018. Our very own Scott Dexheimer suggested that digital giving might, just might be overhyped. <laughs> there you go, Roger. Careful. No, that's patient experience. <laughs> Roger posited that the use of data analytics, business intelligence, and AI in fundraising are areas to understand more. And uh, our other business partner, Andrew McManus, felt that we should stop talking about millennials and maybe, maybe just start actually doing something with them. So on that sort of foundation, Mike, let's kick it over to you. What are you and your team at AFP thinking might happen or will be important in 2020? Yeah, thank you, Vincent. Um, just just to make a comment on what Scott said in terms of, of trying new things and being bold, you know, when I was talking about leadership, the one thing that I, one of the things that I didn't mention was, and I and I wrote it down, was willingness to try new things, and and this is exactly what Scott's saying. It's it's such a 
a key part of, of good leadership is being willing to take a risk every now and then and, and being bold. I love that phrase, Scott, uh, or the way to use that word. Um, but in terms of, of what we're looking at for, for next year, and I mean, it's really, it's more than just, it's just next year, it's more than just next year. Two big areas for us that we're focusing on are, are gender equity and leadership development. You know, one of the things that, that we know is that 70% of, of the fundraising profession is made up of women, but only 30% of the leadership roles are made up of women. So that's one factor that's just, there's no logic to that. Second, we know that women, all things being equal, are paid in U.S. dollars $10,000 less than what men are paid. Again, same roles, all things being equal. Makes absolutely no sense. And then the third aspect of this is around harassment. The the percentage of women, one in four, who have been harassed, uh, whether it's it's sexual harassment or whether it's bullying or some other form of, of harassment, 25% of, of, of all women is, is just it's totally unacceptable. So, so gender equity for us is a really important area. Second area for us that we're looking at is leadership development. We know through our own research, but also from many other sources that have done research, we know that over the next 10 years, there are 800,000 800, jobs approximately in leadership positions that are coming open. 800,000 jobs. So that's on average 80,000 jobs a year. And the issue is there are not enough qualified individuals to fill these positions. And so where that becomes a really critical piece for all of us is if you think about some of the smaller organizations, some of the smaller nonprofits, if they can't find a qualified leader, someone to really sort of set their north star and guide them, these smaller organizations are not going to exist, and that's going to have incredibly negative societal effects. So those are those are two really big areas that that we're focusing on because we're seeing them as critical areas in 2020 and obviously beyond. But but we're hyper focused on them for 2020. Yeah, both of those are are the results of clear trends. So, uh, you know, yep. pay equity and gender equity and leadership. Um, that's fantastic. Who wants to tag into what Mike just talked about? I'm happy to do that, uh, Vincent. I was hoping you would, Paula. <laughs> um, to dovetail into what Mike just said, and I agree completely, and I, I really appreciate the work that the AFP Global is doing on the on that front. And one of the things that I see is increasingly important that will grow in stature is diversity inclusion. And so this is the, the bigger bucket to what Mike was talking about, and that's uh, AFP's IDEA. And that stands for inclusion, diversity, equity, and access. And so all of those pieces that fit into inclusion and, and diversity are going to grow in stature as a, as a, in our society, both in the business side and as well, and probably more importantly, in the not-for-profit side. And so we have to be leaders in that area. And we have to be leaders. It's our moral imperative to be leaders. And the AFP is doing just that, which is fabulous. And it's something that's personally quite important to me that we, we work on areas of diversity within our 
not profit not for profit organizations and those organizations that serve that sector. Uh, and the other thing for me I think I see coming as a trend is mergers and rationalization within the nonprofit sector. So I think we're going to see more and more charities merging together. We've seen that in the UK, we've seen it in the US, and a little bit here in Canada. Uh, the Canadian Cancer Society, for example, merged with the Breast Cancer uh, Foundation a few years ago. Most recently, Children's Wish Foundation and Make-A-Wish merged. There have been several other mergers as well. And, and I think that's because the society at writ large is, is looking for us to make better use of our resources. And donors are becoming increasingly savvy. And so they don't want to see duplication in the marketplace. And so that's something we're going to have to contend with. And the last thing that I think we'll see, and I, we're, we're already seeing it, is um, a threats to our self-regulation as an industry. So we're facing public and media scrutiny and that's that's intensifying and it's uh, perhaps going to continue to intensify and one of the jobs of AFP Canada is make, making sure that we get ahead of that, that we are able to tell our story to Scott's earlier point in, in hopefully a short form narrative and not in, you know, we, we can't, we can't, we can't expend pages and pages uh, explaining why our work is important. We have to do that in a media savvy way. And so that's something we're preparing for. Thanks, Paula. I, um, I do think that it's interesting that um, idea is, um, is, is time is common. I'm glad to see that diversity and inclusion was on the top of your list. I know we will talk more about your third item too, uh, which is really related to public trust. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that will come into the conversation, but I'm going to open it up to Roger or Scott to, uh, to, to tag into what has been said or to add new thoughts to the conversation. Vincent, you know, one of the things that uh, I think is important, uh, just reflecting on Mike's comments, is I think workplaces um, will have to put some emphasis on uh, sensitivity training and highlighting what is acceptable behavior and, um, and just helping staff understand whether it's a anti-harassment policy or um, diversity and inclusion in terms of hiring practices. And increasingly, there are not enough resources that are put into these areas. And I was just thinking of one of my colleagues, Darius, who was doing uh, a survey, and I had a chance to speak to him for about half an hour about this. And it even made me think of, um, at my own shop, that we had work to do in helping our staff understand the importance of being invite, inviting, open, accessible, and really living our mission. So I think that's really something that I would say um, is and should be an increased emphasis for next year. Yeah, and the rise of Me Too and and uh, and and all of those activities associated. And Mike talked about harassment. It'd be very interesting to see uh, the emergence of real sensitivity training going forward. Scott, over to you. Yeah, I've got in you know in big letters here written as I was reflecting is the is is rise of the fundraiser as a leader or strategist. And and I think if there was um, you know and and what I mean by that is that I think you know, in, in some organizations, I would say I would not include a lot of universities or a lot of major healthcare foundations. And there's reasons that they're succeeding in fundraising, they're growing in their connection is because a lot of them actually have 
a seasoned fundraiser who's a leader and a strategist of that organization helping them with their direction, you know, at the executive table. In small and medium-sized nonprofit organizations where a lot of AFP members or, or fundraisers sit, those, those roles are often reduced to a, to a tactical level. They're not, they're not seen internally as being as important. They're a means to an end. And I, I think when, as we start thinking about gender equity and I start looking at how we can better support our members who happen to be 70% female, is how can we build, those, um, build this profession up that people see it as a strategist and a leader. And, you know, I've, I've got an opportunity to speak in a few months to a, to a group of entrepreneurs, and, and that's what I'm going to be talking about is, is that this, this profession, it's a data-driven expertise, expert profession that needs to make sure it has a place at the table as part of an overall strategy. And I think when we can move our profession up to that level, um, that's where it's going to go. And that's where I actually see us coming in 2020. So I, I see that as us starting to push that, that role and that will support our members and them grow in their careers because there are you know people like Roger heading a major health foundation you know having a fundraiser as part of that rather than someone who's brought in from the outside of our profession to lead those organizations so i think that's where i think about boldness and courage and of course my my one area now is that we're getting so ingrained in data and information is that 2020 is going to be the year for us to hone what types of measures are truly important to our work and I think we've we're, we're, we've been dragged around a little bit by click rates and views and a whole bunch of things. I I feel like as fundraisers we're led by we're led by the nose on this uh, on some of this topics by by media companies and others that are really talking about um, page views and click rates. And we need, are going to need to get really clear about what measures are important to our profession and start pushing those measures so that we can support our members. Because online giving last year I talked about the overhype of it. I my concern is that we haven't been able to renew those donors. And if we're going to, we need to do this job properly and follow the right measures to make a difference. And in 2020, I think it's going to be the year of us starting to get to the bottom of some of those metrics. Okay. Okay. So, so um, when are we going to have the heavy ideas come out? I'm kidding. Of course, those are all fantastic. Who wants to, uh, to tag into some of what's been said? Yeah, I'd love to, if, if I may. Um, Please do. You know, I, I, we're we're all saying the same thing, I think, which is <clears throat> leadership. Leadership is the key, and the the way Scott the way Scott framed it was was terrific. For me, when I think about leadership, it's it's a couple things. It's our role. So you know, Scott referenced it. It's sort of been relegated to being tactical, and it needs to be more strategic, and and that's dead on. I think that that what we at AFP Global are trying to do is we are trying to provide leadership development for all of our members so that they can rise to these strategic conversations, so they can be in the room when there are strategic conversations taking place. And so we are providing education to our members, but the other aspect that we are doing is we are trying to educate our the people who are not members, the CEOs, the boards, so that they understand the value that they can extract from their fundraisers when they're having these really critical conversations. And so this is this is why I talked about leadership being one of one of the two key areas for AFP Global. It really is about helping our members become professional leaders and to help boards 
leadership of other organizations understand the value of having fundraisers in the strategic. Sounds like we lost you, Mike, in there somewhere. Um, we may have lost I'm Mike in that, but we can keep the conversation going. Scott? Yeah, so I, I think I think Mike Mike has hit the nail on the head in a lot of ways, but I, I also think there's there's some work that we can do as a profession to not just give the training to people, but how do we position this profession as being truly important in, in many aspects of an organization? And I've been I've often been struck by marketing, and I know others have big marketing dollars in their professions, but you know, the, the CPA group has done some really nice work about how they talk about their members as as finance leads and strategists and key decision makers and others and 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 have, have really broadened their their approach and appeal. And and I'm 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 often surprised as I consult inside of organizations how some fundraisers are only there about fundraising. And I think that's it's around pushing people to the table, but we as a profession could do a better job of marketing and showing the impact a fundraiser can have in an organization. And and I think the people on this podcast and the people that I see at conferences speaking and some of the leaders that are leading growing organizations, I'm so impressed are fundraisers right now. And I'm impressed by the work they're doing. Yeah, I, I while Mike was talking, thanks, Scott. While Mike was talking, um, I wrote down 2020, the year of the fundraising leader. Um, so I think that's that's a uh, this is clearly the a, a, a trend that's about to come to roost. Paula, Roger, do you want to offer up some thoughts? You know, one of the things I was thinking of, Vincent, is um, Scott's comment about uh, you know just sort of uh, um, carrying that message forward. And I was thinking of you know what we did here in Niagara with the uh, Chamber of Commerce with their economic summit and. Uh, we had Bruce McDonald here to talk about the importance of uh, the not-for-profit sector. And to your point about strategy, Scott, in, in terms of that, that it takes all of these unique elements, which includes having someone with that strategic eye and that, that almost a business lens, that these organizations that have that focus are more successful and I think the more that we can do that in environments where our volunteers come from or corporate donors or community leaders, then that message is one that I believe that will permeate and that eventually you would have more of a synergy and an understanding of the critical role that we play not only in raising dollars, but in terms of influencing at the government level, influencing uh, core strategies, whether it's homelessness or healthcare or uh, social issues. So I do think it's something for us um, as leaders to think about what is our role, how can we influence others in the communities that we live, and how can we actually build more of a national strategy that we can see that collective change over time. And, and Roger, and Roger, I, I can't agree more, and that will build trust in in our boards and others in the decisions we are making and i think that's that's one of the areas is it'll 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 show that, that we're on top of decisions uh when we are but also we need to admit sometimes when when we've when we've had challenges in our shops and i think that's a that's a second part around our 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 need to really be invested in being courageous when when we have to make changes or pivots in our own organizations go ahead um uh just before we get there mike you're back on 
Yes, sir. I don't know what happened somewhere along the way. I'm happy to repeat anything that I that I uh, that I you think, missed. I think I think I think the impeachment got in the way. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but I, I'm sure that's please. Okay. And uh, uh, we'll we'll circle back to you in a second. But Paula's got a thought, and um, and I wanted to make sure that she got it in. So Paula, you and oh. you and uh, Roger were were about to come out at the same time. So what was your what was your big thought? Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Oh, I don't know if it was a big thought or not, but something Roger said struck struck me, and that was we need to influence others. And I think to, to Mike's earlier point, we do have a leadership gap facing us, and some of that is just purely about numbers. So we have the boomer generation that's retiring. We have the X and Ys, but the X and Ys, there aren't actually enough of us to take the place of the boomers, which means... To, to a point that you made earlier on, Vincent, I think you were quoting Andrea McManus, who said, stop talking about millennials and do something about it. It's actually an imperative for us to do something about it. Start start connecting with millennials because they're going to have to fill the gaps that the boomers are leaving. Again, just because in pure number terms, they are the, the next largest cohort. And so we need to train them. We need to rise them up as leaders. We need to have them help them understand strategy and all of these big picture things. So, so, so thank you for stimulating that thought in me. I, I, I think we have uh, certainly have our work cut out for us, but we as a sector need to be up for that challenge. Well, thanks for that, Paula. And uh, we, we do need to be up for that challenge. Now, Mike, you, you, you dropped off and you're wondering where you were. I was taking a few notes. I don't know where I stopped, but you were, you were talking about educating non-members and you were in that zone. So uh, I don't know if you had a head of steam going or you were just about done, but I'm opening the floor to you. Well, thank you. I, I, it was probably the most most intelligent words that I've ever said in my life, and they're now gone forever. Uh, um, I, you know, the the thing the thing that, that I was trying to get across is is leadership, and Scott was referencing this, and Paula has referenced it as has Roger. Leadership is such a critical piece uh, for for the future, and. I talked about uh, the point that I was trying to make was AFP Global is focusing on helping our members become true leaders and, and be involved in the strategic conversations. Scott talked about the tactical conversations is sort of where we've been relegated and we need to, we need to aspire and move to higher ground. But the other piece of this is educating the boards, the CEOs, the senior leadership teams how valuable it is to have fundraisers in those strategic conversations and, in fact, mm -hmm. have fundraisers be part of the senior leadership teams. Mm -hmm. the, um, the, <laughs> you know, I, 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 it is such a big challenge in the marketplace. Uh, we run into this, Scott and I run into this, and I'm sure many people do when we talk to um, folks who are in uh, uh, senior fundraising roles, and we ask them what type of uh, access they have to the executive level, and we get quite a few mixed results. Uh, it's not it's not where it needs to be. So, I think that's a, a really important thing to highlight. Um, I am curious what we're going to be doing about that, and I also wanted to just throw something into the mix here. Um, at if AFP uh, and AFP Global has has historically done a, uh, I think a really great job of uh, educating leaders um, within the the AFP world, so leaders for AFP. So I think it's 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 really interesting that we're starting to explore what how do we help them become leaders in their organizations. Yep. 
No, I, I think that's that's a really critical piece because we as fundraisers can think think all we want about how great we are, but we need those who are not fundraisers to understand the real value, the true value that we bring to the table that that is available to organizations to allow them to to do even better work than what they're already doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we talked about diversity and inclusion, we talked about uh, gender equity, and we talked a lot about leadership. Are there other things that are going to be important in 2020? You know, Vincent, I think that one of the things that we will continue to see that is important and will become even more important is the mega campaigns, the big the big gifts that come come through from developing those key relationships. I mean, we just saw this year um, the Slate family gave two $15 million gifts, and, and the second gift was focused, very focused on um, access to health care for seniors and supporting a national senior strategy. And I think as we have an increased dependence on fundraising as an important revenue stream, you know, whether it's for a hospital system or university or even a small nonprofit, um, we will have to think about how these large campaigns come into play and the importance of uh, being more nimble in adapting to donors' wishes and their interests, which sometimes doesn't usually fit in what the case for support has and what, you know, you're trying to fundraise for. So I think it is something that will continue and those big campaigns and those big gift expectations uh, will be a priority for 2020. So not just giving lip service to donor-centered fundraising. Oh, absolutely. And it's, um, you know, I always say to my staff that, you know, you we have to practice active listening. Yes, we have a prioritized list of equipment that we have to fundraise for. We have special projects. But at the end of the day, what is in the donor's heart? What is the donor telling you? And how can you make that magic happen? And that's not yeah, Roger, I, okay. Roger, that's and that's a great point because you know I, I've I've used the term donors have ideas too, uh, in organizations. <laughs> what? And and, and I, I I'm often very surprised that that uh, some organizations go out of their way to to not have those ideas come forward. And, and, you know, we're, we're talking with people that are in times of transformation. Uh, they want to make a, a major difference in the world and, and maybe, maybe do something that's going to help their children or help their children's children and everybody's children's children. And, and we, we need to be listening to those people. And I'm, one of the reasons some of these people have been, or some of the reasons they've been successful is that they've had amazing ideas and been able to, to sometimes see into the future, see where things are going. And, and you know, that's the, the donors can be really visionary if, if people open up their ears. So I, I'm really thankful you brought that forward because that, that can transform the world in, in line with, with the other leaders in an organization. Just a, just a bit of a cautionary note. I think, you know, I, I do think donors are important, obviously. We couldn't do our work without them. Uh, I, I don't like it when the when the scale tips so far in favor of the donor that we forget about the beneficiaries that we serve, and um, and sometimes when we slide too far towards the donor, it's it's easy to it's easy to forget that um, 
there's someone out there specifically who, ha who, who is a beneficiary who also may have ideas. And I think this idea of rights balancing a little bit, so we're not so donor-centered that we're, we're balancing the rights of the beneficiaries and the donors at the same time. I think that'll be a trend increasingly. And from my, from my position, which is direct response, which, which isn't about major donors, it's about donors who give an average of $50 uh, a year, um, that's, that's a really important conversation at that level too, because what happens when you end up, uh, when, you, when you let donors speak too loudly, they're saying, well, don't call me, it's, it's, you know, it's six o'clock at night and uh, don't call me for my gift because that's an intrusion in my life. Well, well, what about the rights of the beneficiary? So you have a, you know, you have a starving person um, who may live down the street from you and what about their rights? So, so it's, uh, it's something I think we're going to have to be mindful of as we move into uh, 2020. I, 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 I agree, Paula. I'm not, go ahead, Scott. I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to push back a little bit, though. Is one of the one of the challenges we have in 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 some major gift work too, though, is that if charities don't work with these individuals to help them with their solution, they're taking that money and lock it away in donor advised funds, and there's billions of dollars of money locked away now that's because the they, you know, happen. the charities aren't connecting to some of those donors in a way that's meaningful enough to them. So, you know, I and, I and I know that's a financial maneuver and that money actually does flow eventually. But, you know, I, I do worry that we become a financial mechanism rather than a charitable mechanism. And, and that's where some folks have moved because, because they don't see that visionary connection to some organizations, I believe. Yeah, yeah sounds like you guys are talking about the same of, thing. Yeah, uh, ahead, another Mike. piece of that. No, another piece of this that that Scott and and Paula are, are talking about right there is is the whole issue of trust, right? So connecting connecting the donor with the charity, and one of the things that we're finding through our research is that three quarters of Americans, and this is a U.S. centric survey, uh, but I suspect it is it is similar across the globe. But three quarters of Americans said that it's really important to trust a charity before giving. And only one in five of those who responded said that they trust the charity and that they trust them highly. And I mean, just think about that. If you are a donor and you want to give money, you're not giving it to someone you don't trust. You're only going to give it to people or organizations that you trust. Because when we get right down to it, and, and we talked a little bit about all the technology that we've been mm -hmm. working, and I think Scott's dead on. Gosh, I hate the fact that I've been agreeing with Scott so much today. But I, I think that He's absolutely dead on when it's, there's so much data out there and we've got to sort of maybe ratchet it back and figure out what's really important. Because at the end of the day, it's a relationship. It's not a transaction. It's about the relationships. And relationships and trust go hand in hand. And one of the things that we just com completed at AFP Global was our Ethics Awareness Month. And that's every October. This past October last month was our first month doing this. And our reason for doing this was ethics is at the core, trust is at the core of everything we do in relationships. And AFP Global, one of the, one of the key strengths we have is we have an enforceable code of ethics. No other nonprofit has an enforceable code of ethics that, that we know of in our sector. And what we did is we, we invited partners, whether they were AFP members or not, to, <clears throat> to join us in promoting the value and the importance of ethics in, in everything in, in the process of, of philanthropy. And 
we were really excited about the results that, that we had <coughs> excuse me, in terms of how many people were involved and, and the amount of of um, attention this got both inside the AFP community but also critically outside of the AFP community. And so just right here I'm just asking everybody to mark October every year as Ethics Awareness Month and just get engaged in that because again I come back to ethics and trust hand in hand and that is the foundation around which philanthropy is built. I was so proud of the um the outcomes from that ethics awareness month just it had it had much deeper and 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 further reach than I ever expected it would happen so congratulations for that Mike Thanks Vincent I appreciate it it was a tremendous effort by everybody both within AFP but also outside of AFP it it's it's mm -hmm. it's the right it's the right thing and we need to keep it going So I'm happy to hear about some more trends but maybe I'm also interested to see whether uh, is there are the, what is there a larger conversation about trust? I, I, AFP Ethics Month was really important, but it feels like the beginning of the beginning um, of turning that tide. Uh, there was also a comment made earlier about um, how do we build leadership in some of these smaller organizations? Uh, we, I mean, it, 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 healthcare, philanthropy, and, and universities they've 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 got those opportunities, but what are we doing? Actually, how are we going to make that happen? So those are two things I throw out there. You can ignore them, throw something else in. Who wants to weigh in? So Vincent, I, I think you, you've hit the nail on the head about, you know, the smaller organizations and leadership opportunities. And I think, um, you know, Mike, you've, you've been doing some really great work since, since you started with AFP Global. And I think, I think the, um, I think the AFP as, as an association, uh, can help these smaller organizations with with the leadership track because many times they they don't have those resources and I think it's a great it's a great way for AFP to become more involved in you know whether it's it's um, a, a mentoring or buddy system uh, or just um, going through a program I know I know here with with our staff and our directors um, you know my conversations with them are centered around well. You know, you're a great manager, but but how can you become a great leader and think as a strategist? And you know, I take it upon myself that I have to I have to play that role and help the staff and get them to be thinking about it. And I think uh, I think that is an area where uh, collectively we can we can see a shift and we can make a shift if if we focus on on that area because those small agencies do not have the resources and many times there isn't the internal champion to to help that individual or or those uh, rising stars to get to the next level. Yeah, Roger, you just pointed to a huge issue we've got with professional development, especially in small organizations. Um, it's not uncommon for us to go into an organization where they have zero professional development. And so, you know, if you have people working in the sector working in a role in small organizations and getting zero money, you know, to, to help with their future. And, and I, I think about whether I would have stayed in this profession had I not had an amazing leader at my first fundraising job who, when I asked to go to a conference, she sent me. When I wanted to go to a week-long full, full session, she sent me. When I wanted to go to Banff to learn about plan giving, she sent me. And, and I was not held back one bit, as a matter of fact, 
you know, she's, she's remains probably one of the most amazing leaders I ever had because she worked with everybody to fulfill their potential. And I think, you know, we need organization. I hope organizations start looking at how they can build that value because we can offer all the education we want as an organization. But if people aren't exposed to it because their budget internally is there, we've got, we're going to, we're going to have a problem with, with a lot of the members of our profession. I've seen it in large charities too, Scott, where there is no budget for professional development. They're they're doing piecemeal solutions in house, and I think it's just it's imperative to get out of the scarcity of mindset, the mindset scarcity, and open up those open up the budget lines for professional development. That's how charities will retain staff. That's how they'll retain fundraisers. And that's how they they will uh, grow in in reference to the earlier conversations as leaders who who will you know one day run our organizations. But if we don't, the 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 millennials, the the Gen Xers, the Gen Ys, they all they're eager by and large they're eager to learn. And so that's how you build loyalty with your charity is unlocking the professional development. And and while I, I'm go ahead, Mike. I was going to say. It, and while I'm the CEO of AFP Global, and I'm trying not to make this a commercial for AFP Global, there are some <laughs> some incredible resources at, and now I feel like I'm one of the people in the debate last night here in the U.S. in the political debate where they rattle out their website name. But if you go to afpglobal.org, there are resources there that address exactly this for people who are working in small organizations when there is no budget for, for professional development. About a year ago, I signed a partnership deal with Corn Ferry, one of the largest, probably the top two or three largest search and consulting firms, for our members to, at no cost to be able to access their broad portfolio of leadership education. And it's a combination of podcasts, it's articles, it's videos, um, it's sort of TED Talk things. And then we've also entered into some other partnerships that really focus around leadership development for our members that are at absolutely no cost. So for those that are looking for that, you know, that's one of the things that we're trying to do, and it's part of our focus on leadership development. Thanks. Thanks for that, Mike. We do need to hear that. Uh, so I, I didn't take that as a commercial, um, and it's great for our listeners to hear it. I um, I found it interesting. Uh, Paulo, as you were talking, and we were talking about professional development, it. Uh, I spoke with a group of millennial fundraisers a year and a half back and shared some of those results with the wider AFP community. And one of their biggest single issues uh, was um, professional development and its cost, uh, not just to the organization there, but just in general. And that was a barrier for them. So if we think about millennials and, and the next generation uh, becoming leaders, we're, we're going to have to do more of what AFP is doing. Um, as part of membership to have that be all-inclusive activities as opposed to a cost ad. Um, I throw that out there just, just because I, I, I found it interesting in the intersection. We're coming to a bit of a, 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 um, a close here. Um, I want to be mindful of everyone's time. I feel like this whole episode had I, – I, I saw the superhero outfit, Roger – uh, not on, just on you, but okay. on, on all of us, uh, uh, but the fundraising leader. And so I really feel like, you know, um, we might need a mascot this coming year. But I really want to um, thank all of you for participating in this fantastic conversation. This is obviously now a podcast series. We should probably, you know, book you for tomorrow and next week, et cetera, to talk more about this because there's lots more to talk about. 
But I want to thank you um, for this. Um, I, I, I can't wait till this comes out and is shared with the interwebs. You've all been great guests, Scott, Roger, Paula, Mike. Um, and again, Mike, I, I can't wait to have you back on the podcast. Can't wait to have all of you back. But before we go, I just want to give each of you a chance to tell us a little bit more about what, were your, what, what you're working on. Of course, Mike, you already did all that, so you don't get to talk. I'm kidding. Of course you do. Um, uh, but where are the best places people can reach you or just, you know, what, what's, what's on your mind? So, Roger, I'm going to start with you. Anything you want our listening audience to know? Sure. Well, you know, we are we just launched our Celebration of Lights campaign. So Paula will be really proud of me to, that I'm sharing our direct mail campaign is out in the market. And uh, our website is lightsforhealth.ca, lightsforhealth.ca. And it's a great way of supporting healthcare, celebrating recovery, supporting healing, and honoring someone special by sending in a bulb, and then it's displayed at one of our five hospital sites. And it raises uh, a lot of funds uh, to support priority pieces of equipment, such as beds and uh, and your everyday hospital needs. So that's really an important piece for us at this time. And if uh, if some if someone's looking for me, they can follow me on Twitter at FundraiseRoger. That's great. Thanks, Roger. Now, do they actually send in a bulb? They, well, it's a paper a paper bulb. They do, and then we would display yeah. that. Um, they get two in the package. They can keep one and use it on a um, a Christmas gift or however they'd like to use it, and they send the other one in. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right, Scott, you're next. What do you want to share with our listening audience? Well, it's uh, first. Thanks, Vincent, to have everybody there, and I think you know as we. Uh, uh, are, are looking toward Christmas. It's that it's that time for us to to uh, keep looking at the rise of of, uh, of our roles as leaders. And so, you know, I think for me, um, you know, I'm I'm working on on a lot of those types of projects with clients, including one of the largest cancer centers in Canada right now. But I I look to next year. And so, you know, I'm actually going to put one out there. This is where you said I can be vulnerable. Is that you know I'm looking for the next big thing, and I'm looking for something for me to do in the profession. So. Uh, if there's leaders, fundraising leaders out there that are, are looking for a, someone to join a committee or to think about what they're doing around the profession, I'd love to join it because it's time for me to, to re-engage in the next step of my, uh, of my journey as a volunteer and as a, as a fundraising leader. So that's me pushing it out there rather than talking about our company, um, but talking about me and something that I'm looking for in 2020. Did you just offer up to our listening audience the opportunity for them to get you as a volunteer? Yeah, this is the test to see if anybody listens to this to the very end. <laughs> this Perfect. is awesome. I hope your inbox is flooded, man. That's awesome. All right, Mike, you do get the floor. Uh, you, you, you said you had 25 minutes or something? Yeah, but I boiled it down to 18. So, you know, great, uh, great. It's, it, it okay. might be a little bit of a stretch, but I'll give it a uh, shot. All right, so, the egg timer's on. Go. All right, thank you. So, you know, I talked about gender equity and, and leadership being two of our key areas. Um, and under gender equity is, and um, Paula talked about idea, inclusion, diversity, equity, access. So these are, are two key areas for us. The th so let me just, let's park that for one second. So the other, the other part of this parking lot is AFP Global has three foundations. So the three foundations are the Mexico Foundation, the U.S. Foundation, and the Canada Foundation. And these foundations do such great work in supporting the work that we do under gender equity and leadership. 
we have a we have a we have a leadership seminar conference in in the fall in October called AFP Lead, and that's funded by the AFP Foundation. Uh, we have we have incredible work that's done in Canada that's funded by the AFP Canada Foundation, and I just encourage people to to think about these foundations and get to know a, a little more about them because they're really important in terms of being able to fund the great work that, that the organization does that also helps all other organizations in our sector. So uh, I will leave it there. Uh, people want to reach me. It's easy to reach me. My, my cell phone number is out there. My email, which is mike.geiger at afpglobal.org. And then also on Twitter, uh, afpmikegeiger. And um, you know, please, please reach out to me with suggestions on how AFP Global can do a better job. If we're missing the boat on something, if we screw up on something, I want to know that so that we can fix it. But we we are here to support the sector and all the great work that that all of our members and all of the organizations do for their causes. So thank you for for having me on this 33rd uh, edition of your podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Mike, and uh, thanks for <laughs> everyone on the Every Member Campaign uh, leadership team and the Be the Cause team uh, and, and the equivalent in Mexico. They're all going, yay, he did a call out for our foundations. That's fantastic. So thank you for that. Uh, really appreciate it. Paula, you get to close us out. Uh, thank you. Wow, what an honor. So it's a, it's a busy season for us in the direct response fundraising world. We're, we're helping uh, quite a number of organizations with their year-end appeals uh, through direct response. And, and my real passion is where uh, multiple channels intersect. So mail, digital, video, mass, media, and uh, using those channels to connect donors to some really amazing causes. And so I really, I love what we do here at Stephen Thomas Limited. Um, and beyond that, if you're looking for me, uh, the best way is probably email, which is Paula A at stephenthomas.ca or Twitter at paula.atfield. I, I would always, I would always love to connect with people. And uh, I, I was, I was musing about this earlier in the conversation that I would love to have uh, someone of the younger generation as a mentor um, and someone maybe we could possibly mentor each other. So I, I'm, I'm putting it out there that uh, I would love a, a mentor and uh, always happy to mentor someone as well. That's awesome. Uh, I love that you reached out to the next generation and asked for a mentor. So thanks, Paula. Thanks, everyone. Fantastic comments. With that, our gift of another Brain Trust Philanthropy powered by Betrayo has been committed. Well, that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy. I hope you'll join us next month for our first episode of 2020, when we will be visiting with Gina Rothstein, founder and principal at Carmen Sense, Dr. Sherilyn Hale, president of Watermark Philanthropic Council, and Ben Forche, a partner at Dubosky & Company. Our topic, all in the family, the state of family giving as the next generation takes the torch. Until then, on behalf of all of us here at Betrayal and at Brain Trust Philanthropy Podcast, we wish you and yours a wonderful holiday season and an amazing 2020. We look forward to talking with you soon. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Vitreo and is produced by Lauren McMurray at Alchemy Communications and by me, Vincent Duckworth. Brain Trust Philanthropy is recorded in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at Powered by Vitreo. 
You can subscribe to Brain Trust Philanthropy on iTunes or by visiting our website at vitreogroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission, peace in your lives, hope in your hearts. I'm Vincent Duckworth.